I need to give you the context, though, in case you missed a couple services. We're in Luke 21. This is the very last two days of Jesus' life on earth. He has three years of earthly ministry, and it all culminates to this last week. Jesus is now here, and he's telling his disciples on what we would call the Passion Week, Passion of the Christ, and Jesus is teaching his disciples about what's to come and what to do in light of it. Now, there's two rules. What's to come will happen. Can I get an amen? It's going to happen. Okay? What we do in light of it, though, is a little bit shakier. What are we going to do with our lives? God doesn't need your help in fulfilling the future and undoing and making all things happen, but he has given to you and I instruction on what we're to do. And so Jesus is with his disciples, and in this portion of Scripture, his disciples look at the temple, and they say, hey, Jesus, the temple is so great, isn't it great? And Jesus tells them, well, it's all going to come down. It's all going to be torn rock from rock, stone from stone. It's going to come down. And so Jesus has been telling them, because they asked him, when? Isn't that what we always do? When's this going to happen? I need to know when. When's it all going to go down? And Jesus didn't necessarily tell them when, but he told them what to look for. And here's my point, now that you guys know where we're at. Jesus is at the end of that teaching. In the Bible, we call it the Olivet Discourse. It's in Mark, and it's in Luke, and it's in Matthew, where Jesus talks about the end of the world. I told you guys last week in the year, week prior that Jesus had on bifocals, if you would. He was able to talk about the near end, that is Jerusalem, in those days, and the far end. He went through and looked beyond their end and talked about the end of the world. A lot of us want to talk about the end of the world. The Mayans apparently put a calendar together that ended in the year 2012. Remember that? And they said, everyone's talking about the end of the world. And I was like, I guess the Mayans were wrong, those dang Mayans, you know. I don't even know, you know, I don't know any Mayans. Do you know any Mayans, you know? And at, the end of the world, though, is kind of something that we're fascinated with. So Jesus said, guys, there's going to be a near end and a far end. And here's what I, my point is. Their ending was actually coming uh, near to them. Jerusalem would be toppled. History proves what Jesus said was true. They would be, as he said, led into captivity. Now, when Jesus said these things, because a lot of people struggle with what the Bible says, is it true? How can we know it's true? Jesus said it. That settles it. And everything that the Bible has ever said would happen has. It's crazy town. If you're looking for some uh, historicity and validity and prophecy, it's all in the scriptures. So when Jesus said, these stones are coming down, they're going to surround Jerusalem, you're going to be led into captivity. They could have been like, time out. We're, we're in like a, an age of peace. P Pax Romana. Rome has ruled the world where it's peaceful. How is this going to happen? 40 years later, just as Jesus said, it happened. Now, the final ending, though, wouldn't be for thousands of years. And Jesus taught them about the far end as well. Remember, his teaching was about the near end, and then he would kind of vacillate and talk about the, the end days and kind of intermingle those two teachings. And there's lots of speculation about the end times, okay? People have been thinking about this for a long time, lots of opinions and ideas. Yesterday, I was in Eugene at the Tracktown Smack. I was reading the Bible at the CrossFit tournament, you know. He's like, what are you reading? I was like, Luke 22. And he's like, whoa, the Olivet Discourse, end of the world. I was like, what? You know, who are you? And, <laughs> and, he, was, and he started asking me what I believed about the end times. And he had his, his answers all lock, stock, and barrel. And it was kind of encouraging, kind of confusing. I was like, dang, you know. And I had to look up some of the stuff he believed. And I said, I'm an open-handed end times theologist. You know, I, I believe that God doesn't need our opinions, and he's going to do it his way. And we have minds and shouldn't check them at the door. We should use them in our Christianity. And, but I believe that it's going to happen in the way that God has predetermined. Lots of people want to talk about the end times. But no matter what your opinion is at the end, Okay, the, listen, this is kind of the message today. The more important matter is the near end. 
And if you want to know why, it's because you're all going to die. Can I get an amen? <laughs> you're all going to die. Ten out of ten people that are born die. That's the near end. I'm fascinated with the far end. How's it going to go? What's going to happen? You know. And no matter what I believe, no matter what I think, that's, it's going to happen. And what might be more valuable for you and for me is to not get fixated on the far end, but to be fully vested on the near end, to live your life in such a way that when you die, you've done well, that when your ticket is called, every single one of us, the Bible says it's been appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Okay, in other words, there's an appointment for you. If God is all-knowing and all-sovereign, and I believe he is, he knew your first <gasps> breath day, <gasps> and he knows your last death day. He knows it. I, actually, I, I get excited about this stuff because I, I believe it, and I don't have to worry about that, at least in a fearful sense. But the days that God has given to us, that hyphen in the middle of your death year, or your birth year and your death year, that's what Jesus wants us to focus on. And I'll tell you what, all of us are going to have a near death, and in the end, it's going to pan out. And what God wants us to focus on, and what I would say, is doing life in the daily. How many of you guys are living a daily life right now? Like right now, you have a daily routine, a daily thing, you got a week coming up, all of us. And Jesus gives us some important instruction right on the heels of this eschatological, that's end times, this crazy panorama of the future. Jesus, it's almost like he looks down and sees his disciples, and their faces are kind of melting there at the temple mount. Like, you know, he's like, whoa, whoa, time out, time out, bring it back in, because he's talking about the end days. He's giving them a clear direction. But he wants them to focus on their lives. As a matter of fact, this, is, this, is, this happens throughout the scriptures. It happens in, in, in ministries when somebody gets excited about the end. Sometimes they get distracted and they just go into Weirdville. Did you know about, let's call it, 42 days from this portion of scripture? In 42 days will be Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Okay, Jesus will die. Actually, about 45 days. Jesus will die. He'll raise from the dead. And for 40 days, he'll be with his disciple. And on the very final day of his earthly walk after his resurrection, he was on the earth for 40 days, he ascends into heaven. He actually leaves. Okay, he gets transformed. And before he gets transformed in Acts chapter 1, his disciples are like, okay, are you now at this point going to restore Israel to its glory? Is it now going to happen, the things that we've been... And it's as if Jesus looks at them and says, man, did I stutter? I'm not meant to read it. It's one of my favorite portions. They're, these guys are all fired up. Dude, it's happening now, right? And he's like, no. And then he tells them, he says this. He says, the end days, it's not for you to know. It's not, a, the Father's got it. He's got it figured out. And then he says, but, verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, you shall receive power from my Holy Spirit, and then you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Here's what you're supposed to do, because they got all excited about the end in Israel. All these things, they're like, stop it, stop it. And he brought him back down. He says, you're going to get power. You're going to become something you're not. You're going to have power. Well, for what reason? To be witnesses, to live your life right, to be a signpost, a guidepost, a director, a shining light, a, a salty person, not like the salty sea of fishermen, but salt that preserves and causes thirst for holy things. You're going to be on purpose living here with intentions for other people. And Jesus says, that's what I want you to do. By the way, it's a whole study in and of itself. But when he says we're to be witnesses, the Greek word there for witness is marteo, which is where we get our English word martyr. 
That is, you're to lay your life down for the gospel and for the sake of others in their journey. Most of them in that context would actually truly be martyred. They would actually die. You and I, we probably, most of us won't die, okay, be killed as martyrs for our Christian witness. But you and I daily as believers in America 2019, our challenge is to deny ourselves. The Bible calls it die to yourself. When your wanton desires show up again and you want to do this, and the Bible says, I don't know if you should do that. All right, I'm going to put that want to death. Why? To be a witness, okay, for something greater. Even just this last January, I was praying, uh, just asking the Lord how he would want me to order my 2019 differently than my 2018. And the Lord showed me a few things that, that I could set down if I wanted to. I could, just, I, could, I could eliminate that from my life. I could deny my flesh, die to myself. And when I began to barter with the Lord, you ever barter with the Lord? And I began to, well, if, if I do that, and I, said, I said it this way, Lord, I would gladly do that. Gladly. If. If it meant more of your Holy Spirit, more power, more purpose, more peace, okay, more protection. But if it meant more of you, for sure, I will deny myself. Whatever the flesh is. And I would just say for you as believers, God said, I'm going to give you my power to do what? To be witnesses. Christians, those walking for Jesus in his soon return, are to be different than the world. You're supposed to look a little different. And this is what you and I are to focus on. These guys, and it's really easy for me and you to look beyond. And again, I believe, I believe Jesus saw their eyes looking into the future. He's like, whoa, 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 bring it back. And even 45 days later, they still wanted to go to the very end of things. And so instead, Jesus tells them to stay focused. Not for you to know, he says in Acts 1.8, but to do stuff. So in verses 34 through 36, I read them last week, but it was in the tail end of our teaching, and there's so much more on the table. I wanted to get some more out before we move on. He tells them, here's the principles, to do some stuff and then not to do some stuff. Okay, that's your notes and your outline if you're going to write this down. Jesus said to not do some things and then to do some things. Let's read verse 34 uh, through 36. He says, but, this is the end of his teaching. Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Stop right there. And eyes up here. Jesus begins now to tell them what to focus on. And let me just put this in context one more time. They just asked Jesus about the end of time. He told them what was going to happen. And while they began to think about the end days, he grabbed them and brought their attention right back into the near. Because right now you're doing your daily life. Some of you are married. Okay, some of you have kids. Some of you have jobs. Some of you have neighbors. Some of you have cars. Some of you are students. Some of you are employers, employees. Each one of us have a level of influence right now in relationship with somebody that the Lord would look at you and say, do you want to know what the most important thing about you is right now in your Christianity? These people you're linked to. And you can become so weird and so out of touch in your view of the end times. I can't wait for this, and man, I'm checking that, and Iran's here, and the Ra- Iran's joining up with Russia, and, and we just pulled out of Syria, and this is happening, and all this is going down. And Okay, anybody plan on going to Iran, Syria, and Russia in the next couple of days? No? No, no, but you're probably going to go to Arctic Circle and have a burger. So, man, get your head in the game. There's going to be people there that need your attention. And this is what Jesus is saying. 
which is so fun. I love living in Newport. I love li being in a small town. It's so fun, okay, to go to Fred Meyer's and see 6,000 people you know. <laughs> I, I love it, unless I'm in a hurry. Then I go, you know, shopping somewhere else. But if, if, <laughs> then I don't see as many people. And, and I, I, I truly love it, though. I love it. I love being available to people. Okay, I have, to de I have to deny myself. I have to say no to, to, to things. I have to be a witness. And that's what Jesus is calling. That's, that's kind of the message today. I was reading. I got, a, so I got so many notes today. Last night I was just typing, typing, typing. I was like, Lord, it's like eight pages of notes, but it's the same thing each page. I'm just going to say the same thing over and over. Like, it's going to get kind of repetitive, and I just kind of have to settle into that message today. Jesus is saying the most important thing in your life right now is the people you're linked to and the message of Jesus to them. Don't get so confused with all the other things. And the way he says it in verse 34, he says, but take heed to yourselves. You could just circle that as kind of the, the foundation of being salty and being full of light. C.H. Spurgeon, in his letter to his students, he called this the minister's self-watch. You can't be a minister to others unless you're first ministered to. Take heed to yourself. You can't take people where you're not. You can't give to people what you don't have. Okay, Christianity, the truth, love, light, forgiveness, it's kind of like the mumps. I was going to say the measles, but people don't like measles right now because there's, there's an outbreak. You know, I was like, wait, I can't say measles. Everyone's mad right now. It's kind of like the mumps. It's kind of like the measles. You can't give them to somebody unless you got them yourself. You can't give measles to nobody. So, too, Christianity, the truth, listen, this is so important. Moms, dads, husbands, wives, what are you worried about right now? All kinds of other stuff? Stop. Jesus wants you to be full of the Holy Spirit. Take care of yourself so you can be fruitful for other people. Did you know when a tree produces fruit, you know, apple tree, like it's, ah, look at me, I got all this fruit. That fruit is for other people. The apple, never, the apple tree never sits there and eats, it's, ah, you know. If you ever see an apple tree eating its own fruit, like call Fox News right away, take a picture, like I saw crazy, it's not going to happen. And when you are to be fruitful, it's for the people around you. God wants you to be profitable for your husbands, your wives, your grandkids. The way he says it this way, guys, don't get so distracted by all that stuff that's going to happen. You can, you can watch, but verse 34, take heed to yourselves. Paul, when he uh, preached to a group of pastors in Acts 20, he put it this way. He said, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to the flock. There's the order. Because if you don't have something, you can't give it to others. And here's the problem is that you can actually pretend you're full and doing all right, and if you do that enough, we're all going to believe you. You ever ask somebody if they're doing okay, and they say, yeah, they lie right to your face, and you just believe them. You give them the benefit of the doubt, you're like, cool, glad you're all right, when in reality, they need care. They need to be ministered to. So he says it this way, you can only take care of yourself, you can only be honest, and here's how uh, we take care of ourselves. Jesus tells them in this portion, which I just read to you, uh, not to do some things and make sure and do some other things. Okay, and these principles of not doing certain things to be successful and doing other things to be successful, this is true in your finances, in your fitness, relationships, academics. There's certain things you got to do okay, and certain things you can't do in any field of life in order to advance. Can I get an amen, like an obvious amen? Okay, you want to have more money, you need to spend less okay, and make more. Someone's like, write that down, write that down. You know, like, you know, you want to get fit, you have to eat less crap and, you know, did I say crap? You're not supposed to say crap at church. Don't ever do that again, people. Eat less junk and do some good stuff, right? It's fitness. You're, you're on the road. Sheesh. Don't be, anybody want to preach the 11 for me? Anybody want to preach the next service? I'm going to get fired. 
Okay, here's, here's, here's the rules. Jesus tells them, he says, beware of carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. He says it's going to weigh you down. And in verse 36, he says, instead, watch and pray. So he says, don't do some things and do some things. And here's the, here, here's the simplicity of this rule, okay? Don't do stupid things and do do smart things. So if you're writing notes down, that's what you learned at church today. What did pastor say? He said, don't do stupid things, <laughs> you know, and, and do smart things, and I'll be fine. It's like, it's kind of true. It's kind of true. So, um, and let's just start with the don't do stupid things. Okay, Jesus tells us what not to do, and uh, if you're a little bit old, if you've lived at least, you know, a couple years, you've done some stupid things, you tried it out, anybody tried this out, like, I'll just give it a whirl and see if I can be successful doing stupid things, like, you know, that's how you get a parole officer, and that's how you do prison ministry on the inside, and it doesn't work. What Jesus says here, he says, don't lose your mind and go carousing and getting drunk, and I love what he says here, look at verse 34, take heed to yourselves. Well, lest your hearts be weighed down, listen, with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life. I need you to see the context here. Jesus loves his disciples. He says, guys, there's going to be a temptation to carouse, which is a weird word. Okay, this just means to be a thug, to just be wanton, to follow your flesh, do whatever you want to do. And then he kind of boils it down to drunkenness. Now, you guys know that in the Bible, drinking is not forbidden. Drunkenness is. Okay, just so you guys know. There are rules and there are laws within the scriptures. Not everyone should drink. Some of you have weaknesses in that area. should just be abstinent in totality. If it causes somebody else to stumble, you should watch uh, your alcohol content or partaking. Okay, he says drunkenness is, is don't, don't be drunk. Don't carouse and watch out for the cares of this life. He says, why? Because your heart's going to get weighed down. You're going to get a sick heart. Which is crazy because most people who carouse and drink too much and get involved in all the things of this world, listen, they're looking to alleviate a heart problem. They're actually wanting help. I want, I want fulfillment. I think this is going to do it. And they carouse and fill in the blanks and they drink, fill in the blanks, or they get involved in the cares of this world because their hearts are all jacked up. And Jesus says, That's, your hearts are going to get even further down. And then you, you who are here this morning and hear this, why would Jesus say this? It's because he loves you. Here's the saying that I've been saying for a while and I've heard a long time ago that sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. The things that God says to stay away from will actually hurt you and harm you. It's not God, this cosmic killjoy, this, you know, this big jerk in the sky not wanting us to have a great time. When God tells you, watch out for that, that's going to hurt you. That's actually going to harm your heart. And if you, again, you've lived a decade or two, you've tested, oh, I'll see, I'll, I'll figure it out. That really makes my heart hurt, you know. And you found yourself more busted up by going your own way. And you might not have a drinking problem here, you know, but each, you know what each one of us do have? We have what we call functional saviors. That is things in our lives that when we get overwhelmed, when we get discombobulated, we run to those things. It might not be a, a thing, a, a bottle for you. But it's something that's taking the place of Jesus that ultimately, if you keep going back to that source, that illegitimate source, it might not even be a bad thing. But when you put a good thing in God's place, it becomes a bad thing. Only God can meet your deepest needs. It's true. Okay, your husband, your wife, they won't meet your deepest needs. Some of you have taken your husband and your wife or your kids or your business, all good things. And you've put them not in a good position, but in a God position. And then all of a sudden... Your heart is hardened. Your heart is weighed down. And Jesus here, looking at his boys, his disciples, the followers, the family of God, says, okay, everything's going to go crazy, but that's my problem. Your problem? Don't 
get a heavy heart and begin to carouse, get drunk. And I like what he says in verse 34, or the cares of this life. He just kind of boils it down. There's just so much stuff going. We live in a weird age, do we not? This is a crazy age. If you know anything about history, we live in the modern age, the digital age, the technological age, the intellectual age, the academic age. This is crazy. You can learn anything you want in just about 20 seconds. Hey, Siri, tell me something I I don't know, you know. Or you can call anyone in the entire world in just about 20 seconds, on the whole face of the world, anywhere you want, any country, you know, Siri's about to start calling people here in a minute, don't go, 20 seconds, you can travel on an airplane anywhere you want in just about 20 hours, get to the other side of the world, I've done international travel, it always freaks me out, like how did we get to Switzerland, I can't believe it, you know. And there's, just, and there's so much going on. And Jesus said, careful. You know what he said, actually, in one of the teachings that he gave? He said that when the sower sows the seed, it goes on to four types of soil. And one of those types actually produces a plant, and there is leaves, and there is growth. I believe it's a believer. It's somebody who believes, and they're growing. And it says that the thorns come up alongside of it, and they grab around it, and they choke it out so that it produces no fruit. He says there's another plant that grows and produces fruit and it's beautiful it's what it ought to do and the contrast is they're both alive they're both believers possibly and they're both growing but one of them gets constricted by the in what jesus says the cares of this world And, and the sneaky thing is you might be a christian here this morning or a good person or whatever the case is but you're involved in so many things that the fruit in your life is choked out you might not be carousing and drunk good job good job But I have found myself, even as a pastor, pretty holy person, (laughs) having to look at my life and be like, dude, I'm not impressed with you, Luke. You're so busy. You don't have time for them. You don't have time for them. You're just, what are, you're so, the cares of this world. Just be careful. Just be careful. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us to lay aside the weights, okay, and the sins that so easily entangle us. The weights would just be those things that aren't bad, but they're just not actually helping me to fly higher to the Lord. And really, really, I don't, because I'm not going to pick any one thing that might be plaguing you. This is a heart issue. Okay? The issue, or the heart of every issue, is an issue of the heart. What's going on in your heart? Where do you run when you get overwhelmed? Jesus here says, man, take heed to yourselves, boys. Lest your hearts be weighed down with the cares of this life. Then he goes on to say this in verse 34. Again, we're still in verse 34. And that day come on you unexpectedly. Uh, I like how Jesus is honest here. He wants them not to get caught off guard. This is what we call the hope of his return. Now, the generation before us that is long uh, gone has hoped his return would be here. They lived in that hope of his expectation of his soon coming. In the people, the Christians in the year 1700, they thought it was going to be their turn. And they died. And the people in the 1600s, they read this like, Ooh, and they died. In the, in the 1500s, in the 1400s, the average lifespan in the year 1400 was like 10. I'm kidding, but it was horrible, you know. Living the, it was crazy, man. There's, and every single generation has lived with the hope of his return. And so, too, our generation lives with the hope of his return. And the way he says it here, man, stay focused on the things that matter in order, in order that you don't get caught off guard. And that day come on you unexpectedly verse 35 look at that for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell in the face of the whole earth so if you're looking to establish your foundation today and make decisions about what you believe what jesus has said has all come to pass he 
He's never lied, never been wrong. What he said is it's going to come unexpectedly. It will come to pass. This isn't a, a gamble or a wish or an uncertainty. It is certain. And if it doesn't come in our generation, okay, it very well may come in the next generation, but it will come unexpectedly. And my point is this. Jesus doesn't want you to get caught off guard. He doesn't want you to live your life foolishly tomorrow or today and be one who's caught unexpected. And I just think that's mercy. Have you guys ever been caught unexpected before? You ever found yourself not prepared for a situation, ill-prepared, underprepared? You find yourself, oh, oh, Jesus doesn't want that. He truly doesn't want that. And for me, this confidence I have, man, life's crazy. I don't know all the stuff that's going to happen here, but the big questions for Luke Frechette, they're answered. Like, I am... I'm at peace. I know what's going on. I know how it's all going to end. I don't have these big looming fears. And for me, that gives me great confidence in the way that I navigate my small problems. Jesus says, I want you to know how it's going to go so that when you're called upon, you don't have a mistake. This story came out a couple years ago, and I've actually referenced it a few times, but I love it. I'm just going to read it to you. The Tennessee Volunteers third string true freshman kicker knows the feeling all too well of being ready. This is the quote from the uh, magazine. Just prior to the game against Middle Tennessee State, Dooley discovered that his starting kicker had not recovered from an injury, and during a warm-ups, the Volunteers' backup kicker pulled a muscle. So with just one hour until kickoff, the next logical step was to turn to their third-string kicker, and there was only one problem. Derek Brodos was not at the game. He was at a frat house. <laughs> and the coach, Dooley, says, we didn't, have a cho- we didn't have a kicker. We didn't have a choice. And we had to make a call to the frat house. This is no lie. We called that frat house and had a policeman go get him. He said, let's just get a call to Brodus. And it's a good thing he wasn't, his quote, wasn't having too much Saturday afternoon fun. <laughs> I told the other coaches, hey, an intoxicated Brodus is better than nobody. Just get him here and we'll do a breathalyzer. <laughs> Fortunately, he didn't, have any, he didn't do anything bad. Brodus' whirlwind afternoon ended as well as can be expected. He was three for three on extra points and made his only field goal attempt, and they won the game with his efforts as well. And I just love that story. This freshman, a third stringer, he's got no reason to have his head in the game on a Saturday afternoon, game day at a frat house. Okay, just fill in the blanks. And the cops call him, hey, you want to play today? We're outside. Like, what? You know, <laughs> oh, hold on, let me find my shoe, you know. And he was ready. And he had the game of his life. He goes down in history, won the game for these guys. Jesus here doesn't want us to not know what's going on. So here's my question. Are, are you ready? If Jesus came today, how's your soul? Okay, you, you, you like me have laundry to do at your house and stuff. You got things. How's your soul? Are you ready? I'm so ready. I'm ready. I'm, I'm not going to be unexpected when he returns. Here's another question. How's your relationships right now? Is everything in order? How's your walk and your holiness? And you you guys know me. I just love you guys and want you to be well. I'm not here to be heavy in any way. But Jesus saw their faces and says, guys, I want you to be ready. Verse 35, he goes on to say, it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. And a snare literally is a trap, okay, that would be used for an animal that comes fast and unexpectedly. When Jesus returns and all this happens, uh, Second Peter, uh, Jesus' uh, friend who is here listening to this, he goes on to write one of his letters, his second letter. He said this, know this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, and they're going to walk according to their own lusts, and they're going to say, where's the promise of his coming? 
For since the fathers fell asleep, all these things continue as they were from the beginning. He goes on in verse 10 to say, but the day, this is Peter, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Listen, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Peter exhorted his believers then that God's doing things not just temporally but eternally. God's got a plan that will continue. He tells us in verse 36, here's what we're to do. So what are we not to do? Don't carouse, okay? Don't run to your functional savior. Could be the bottle, could be other things. And don't get too involved in the cares of this world. Just, just examine your own heart today. What, am I all jacked up? You know, it'd be, for me, I don't think I'm involved in really anything that is illicit. But there are things that could be uh, illegitimate. They could take me away from the Lord. Unless, unless, unless I take those things and I surrender them to the Lord. So I'm going to do this for your glory. Paul said it this way. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Wouldn't that be awesome if you just decided to be that person today? You've got things, okay? You're involved. You're, you're, you're investing. You're working. You're traveling. You've got friends. You've got hobbies. Amen. It's called life. Do it. But what if you did it with that eternal perspective? Okay, I'm going to redeem the days. That's what we're to do, or should I say not to do, is not to get caught up in all those things. Look at what he says in verse 36. He says, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. So now he tells us what to do. And the first thing he says is watch. Okay, this is what we're doing on Sunday morning. You guys come to church here and you hear about the Bible, you, you study, you preach, and you're like, whoa, and you learn something. And all of a sudden your eyes are opened up to the things of the kingdom of heaven. You watch. This is all, it's really that simple. What does watching literally mean except just to be engaged, okay? When you're driving your car, what are you watching? Your phone. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) False. That was 2018. It's illegal now. Now you're watching the road. When you're driving your car, you're watching, you're watching a lot of stuff. You're watching the road, right? You're watching other cars. You're watching your gauges. You're watching your mirrors. You're watching everything. You ever have a, a person in your car? What are they watching? Their phone. Okay, that's, that's what they do. They get a check out. They get a look around. They're all over the place. There's something different when you're driving and when you're just riding along. When you're watching, you know where you're going. You're going to get there. You know how to get there. You know what the speed is. Man, you're in charge. What Jesus is saying, watch therefore and pray. Stay in the driver's seat of your life. Don't check out. Watch the gauges. Watch other people. Watch the surrounding environments. Watch your vehicle. Watch it all. Stay focused. And the way to do that is to pray. Don't do these things. They're going to lead you astray. Your heart's going to get busted up and weighed down. I don't want that for you. I don't want you to be caught off guard. Stay involved. Watch and pray. Now, prayer is such an important discipline of the Christian journey, isn't it? But it's so hard. Can I just get an honest amen? It's hard. It's hard because prayers work. Okay, prayer is two things. It's a lot of things, but it's definitely two things. Number one, it's work, okay? Yeah, I'll, I'll pull that back. Number, number one, it's a submission of your will to his will. Okay, when you pray, you've got you've to take the back seat. When you're praying, because you're, here, usually how we pray, you can pray with your eyes open looking up. That's fine. But usually when we pray, what do we do? We close our eyes and bow our heads. You're submitting to somebody. You're praying. You're realizing that you're not the top dog. You're not the biggest one in the room. And this is important for you to remember. When you pray. 
I love praying with my kids because they've all been taught how to pray uh, decently well. Uh, when we all stand in a circle and hold uh, hands with each other, they do kick each other and step on each other's feet still. But when they're not, when they're not forced to touch another sibling, okay, which is just the hardest thing to do, I say, hey, guys, let's pray. And they, they just, they, they pray. We're talking to God now. We're talking to God. And it's submission, which is, is good for you. It's good for you. I love praying. I love getting in God's presence. Okay. Not only is it submission to heaven, listen, but it's an investment in the kingdom. This is crazy. I want you guys to hear this. When you pray, Jesus said, pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was saying, when you pray about things, I want you to pull heaven down and unleash it on the earth. I want you to do stuff. I want you to make things happen in the spiritual realm and God's kingdom through prayer. It's an investment. Now, we all know what investment is. If you do this, you get that. You put this in that fund, you get this return. You put this work in, in the gym, you're going to get this return. You, put the, you read this book, you're going to get this knowledge. Prayer is an investment into things to come. Now, I'm kind of a competitive person, believe it or not. I know you guys don't think so, but I am. And so when I realized, oh, you mean if I pray, I can actually accomplish things in the spirit and, I, and heaven can come on earth. I can actually invest in the kingdom. I can see things happen. I like that. I like that. Prayer is a lot of things, but for sure it is watching and praying in this way, making sure that we actually invest in the kingdom of God, that we do things. And so here's the problem, though. It's hard. It's, it's work. And it's not the easiest thing. And what I would just say is this way. How, how are we not going to get caught off guard? That's kind of the whole point of the teaching. By praying and watching. And so here's my, my homework for you guys. And we're almost done with the teaching today. What if you just decided to do just that today? I'm just going to watch a little more. And I'm going to pray a little more. Watch and pray there. Prayer is going to be you submitting to God more in your life and then bringing heaven down on the behalves of the people around you. It's really not that hard. What if Jesus gave them 35 things to do to not get caught off guard? Okay, oh, I can't say crap. Oh, crud. I got to do all these things. I got to do all these things. He said, well, just watch. Eyes open. Whoa, what's going on? And pray. What if you did this? What if you decided to increase in your prayer life just a little bit this week? Privately, just you, just pray. If you don't pray on purpose right now, you probably don't pray at all. I'm just going to put that out there. Nobody here is accidentally going to walk into the bank this week and be like, whoa, I can't believe I'm at the bank. I can't believe I got all this money. I'll put it in the bank. It's not going to be an accident. You're going to go there on purpose and make an investment into your account. You're going to go there on purpose. Nobody's going to accidentally walk into the gym and be like, whoa, look at all these weights. The next thing you know, you're doing workouts. It's not going to happen on accident. You're not going to accidentally walk into the organic section and buy some cauliflower this week. It's not going to happen on accident. You are not accidentally going to pray a little bit more this week. It won't happen. Would you, would you, would you accept that challenge this week? I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Why would you do that? So I don't get caught off guard. So my heart doesn't get weighed down. Maybe right now you are off guard and you are weighed down. Why? Because you're not spending that time investing in God. You just haven't taken the time. You're not a bad person. You're not doing crazy stuff. Good job. Good for you. But are you doing the better things? Yeah. On Friday, I took Malika to the Project Homeless Connect. 
and introduced her to Lola Jones, who might be able to help us with some housing. And Lola and Malika talked, and when we were done, I was going to take Malika to the next thing that she was going to, and, and Lola was so cool. Lola was like, hey, pastor, would you pray for? Would you pray for this? And it, it was, you know, Lola loves Jesus, and, and Malika does too, so it wasn't, wasn't that odd, but, it was, but I wouldn't have unless Lola asked you. I was like, yeah, let's do it. And we just prayed. We asked heaven to come down on earth on behalf of Malika and our community. It was just so powerful. Here's, my, here's the simple application. Find a little extra time this week to pray. Just yourself. Put it on your calendar. Do something. Again, you're not going to do anything important this week accidentally. It's all going to be on purpose. What if prayer became important to you? And then also, here would be the, the more, an additional facet of prayer. What if you decided to just pray for people? This would be fun. For me, it's going to be, I'm not going to say easy, but for some of you, it's going to be more difficult. What if you decided, I'm just going to pray for people in the actual when I'm with them? I'm actually going to do it when I'm at the banana section at Fred Meyer's. I'm going to do it when I'm at Starbucks. I'm just going to pray. Simple prayers. Don't do long, crazy ones. I'm serious. God hears you. You don't need a long, eloquent King James prayers. Okay? Don't do it. I'm t- people want to be prayed for. Did you know that? They might not even believe in God yet. They want to be prayed for. They, but they don't know what all the things you do. Can I just pray for you in that? Hey, I'm going to keep you in my prayers. Then go do it. Now, we live in a generation right now that our hearts are heavy. And we have the cares of this world. It's happening. And there's carousing and drunkenness. It's all over the place. Jesus gave us the solution. Watch and pray. The temptation here today is actually to agree with that and not do anything different. This is actually scary. I don't like giving you guys challenges. I don't like doing it because I don't want to set you up for for hypocrisy and failure. But if you were to just creep into this a little bit, did you know that when Jesus had his disciples on the earth, he did amazing things with them? He walked on water. He changed uh, water into wine. He changed bread into food for everyone. He did crazy things. And Jesus' disciples never asked to be taught how to do those things. They asked him one thing. Hey, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Now, I would have been the guy with the water to wine trick. Dude, how'd you do that? Show me how you did that. You know how he did that? Through prayer, the foundation. His life was dialed in. And I love the disciples. The 12 of them were so humble, just like you and me. They were willing to say, dude, we're not like you, Jesus. You pray differently. You pray, would you teach us this? So if you're here this morning and you don't pray well or you're scared to pray, you're just like the disciples. I hope you have goals for 2019. Financial, okay, fitness, relational. I hope you have goals to do something. I'm going to fix stuff. I hope you have summertime goals. Now we're going to go on vacation. I'm going to plant a garden. I'm going to paint my house. I hope you have a life. I hope you have stuff you're looking forward to. And you're going to put everything in order to get there. You're going to do it. Good job. You should. Don't neglect the spiritual. You all have alarm clocks, don't you? You all can get up 10 minutes earlier than the rest of the dependents that live in your house. <laughs> this morning I got up, and I slept in a little bit. I was really tired from yesterday. I got beat up with that CrossFit thing, man. And so I was coming down the hallway at 6.30, and I'm not kidding. All three of my kids were standing there like hyenas, like, ah, you know. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? And Noah, my 11-year-old, no joke, was already dressed, jeans, hair done, had all his stuff on, wallet in, knife, ready to go. Like, Dad, I'm ready for church. I'm like, go, you know supposed to get up before you guys so i can seek the lord and 
drink some coffee. Anyways, my point is. <laughs> I'm going to have the worship team come up and they're going <laughs> to sing a song. Here's, here's, what, here's what I would say. I'm going to do it. Jesus said, don't get a heavy heart. How, how can we avoid that? By watching and praying. I'm going to do it this week. I'm going to actually steal away time. I'm going to find creative time, find a creative space. For me, it'll be either in my garage or in my car, away from the distractions. And I'm going to pray. But I'm also going to look for opportunities to pray for you guys when I see you in the store, when I see you at the ball field. I'm going to pray for you. Wouldn't it be awesome if, if our community became a praying community? Simple prayers, loving prayers. Just put a hand on someone's shoulder and say, I'm just going to pray for you. Lord, would you bless them? Would you bless their marriage? Lord, they're going to have surgery tomorrow. We ask that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Done. Peter was sinking one time in the water, and his prayer went this way. Lord, help. And Jesus grabbed him and put him in a boat, saved his life. Peter didn't have to memorize, you know, ancient Hebrew, Greek. He knew, he knew that stuff. He just prayed out, Lord, help. And this teaching is pretty simple, guys. But I believe that if you examine your heart today, do you have a heavy heart? What are you going to to fix it? So would you bow your heads right now and pray with me? Jesus, as we come to the table now, we, we're going to take communion. And it's going to remind us, Lord, of your goodness toward us, of your love displayed on the cross. That Jesus, you indeed forgave us when you died and you rose again victorious. And now we who studied the word this morning and sang songs and man, we had some fun this morning. It's all because of you, Jesus. You're so real. You're so right. Holy Spirit, would you come upon us now as we come to the table? Would you minister to our hearts the heaviness therein? And if you're not a believer here this morning, you can become one just like that. You can become a believer this morning by confessing with your mouth that you believe that Jesus Christ died and that he rose again. You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth and you are saved. You take your mind. You use it. You listen to the word. And you surrender to him and you say, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'm not, I'm not sure why I wouldn't. I'm not sure why I waited this long. As a matter of fact, before we take communion, if you would like to do that, just privately, it's between you and God. I'm not going to embarrass you. Would you just put, put your hand up a little bit? Just say, yeah, that's me. That's me. Just put your hand up and say, I see hands in the back on my left. I see hands up front. Anybody say, yeah, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I see hands up. Amen. And the Lord loves you. Put your hands down. And God, what we do now, we thank you for allowing us to know you. We want to watch. We want to pray. Lord, I'm not sure how we just did that. We only studied three verses this morning, but I pray it would change our lives. We would find ourselves, Lord, nearer to you, living for you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the first martyr, the first witness, the first to give your life. We celebrate now your victory over sin and death. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said...